His name was Mike. When I first met Mike, it was unquestionably the worst day of his life. When I met Mike, Mike and a partner of his by the name of Steve drove to the city where I worked, parked next to a strip mall. We called that strip mall affectionately Hostage Row. Not sure why, but we had worked multiple hostage situations on this one strip mall. The criminals just felt like this was the best place to snatch hostages, I guess. Mike and Steve pull up next to the building. They get out of the car. They don ski masks. This was July in, Washington, in the Washington, D.C. area. And it was pre-COVID. The FBI calls that a clue. They approach a pawn shop. Mike pulls a handgun out of his waistband, and they walk in, and they announce the takeover robbery of the pawn shop. Their day went downhill from there. A 12-year-old boy was riding by on his bicycle. He saw what was going on. He proceeded to another business within the strip mall, told the manager. The manager called us. Two units responded rather quickly, deployed to the rear of the location just in time to see the back door fly open. Bang! There stand Mike and Steve. What do you think Mike and Steve do? They go back in. And they round up hostages. Eight of them. Three employees. Five customers. They bind them hand and foot with duct tape. They leave four of them out in front of the front door, four of them out in front of the back door, effectively using them as human shields to prevent us from coming in. Now, I'm going to stop the story here for a second. Remember, you don't get in life what's fair. You get what you negotiate. If you want to become a better negotiator, click the link in the description below. When we eventually called in, when we eventually call into all of these crisis sites, one of the first things out of their mouth is, what do you think it is? Which, what, what do you think is some of the, one of the first things out of a hostage taker's mouth when we finally make contact with them? They usually tell us, back up, go away, or we're going to kill them. Now, in case you were wondering, the fastest way to get the police to leave you alone is not to snatch a hostage. <laughs> if you snatch a hostage, that's pretty much a guarantee we're going to stick it out. We're going to stay around a little bit. You guys know that. I know that. If I took Mike and Steve out of that circumstance, they would probably know that. Why do you think they could not figure that out in the moment? Who's scared? They were frightened to death. The amygdala fired up. When that amygdala fires up, everything that's supposed to be going on in the prefrontal cortex is diminished. He's highly emotional, responding to a highly stressed event, and this was the most expedient thing that he could think of to help him navigate this negative emotion and dynamic that, is, that has occurred as a result of having something ripped away from him very quickly, and that was his freedom. So we call inside, back up, leave us alone, go away. And then a profanity-laden 
tirade. He's cussing us up one side and down the other, calling us everything but children of God. And he says, before he disconnects, don't do anything foolish. If you do anything foolish, these people are going to die and the blood is on your hands. Just like it was written in the script in the movie. Labels, mirrors, dynamic silence. Are the three primary skills that we were using with Mike. To get him to share with us his worldview. How did we get here today? With the use of labels, mirrors, and dynamic silence, Mike starts to tell us his story. Mike is 34 years old at this time. He had just gotten paroled from state penitentiary. After spending 17 years in the state penitentiary for armed robbery. You see where I'm going with this? He can't get right. In fact, he actually said that. I just can't get right. Those of you who are doing the math, he's 34, 17 years. That means he went in at 17. This guy did not go into a juvenile detention facility. He did not go to a municipal jail. He went to a state penitentiary, one of the worst on the East Coast, where he was subjected to all manner of inhumane behavior up to and including becoming addicted to heroin. Parole officer is threatening to violate him because he can't find gainful or hold gainful employment. It's hard to find and hold gainful employment because he's got a 17-year felonious hole in his resume. He's tired of having to explain that to everybody. In fact, he told me during the conversation, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Labels, mirrors, and dynamic silence is getting him to open up. The precipitating event for that day was he had gone to a clinic in Washington, D.C. to get a prescription for methadone, which is a drug that they prescribe you to get you off of a drug that you're addicted to. I don't know how it works, but that's how it was explained to me. He didn't have a $25 copay, so they didn't service him, threw him out. His wife is all over him. She's worried. She's all over him because she's worried because he's starting to hang out with the same type of element that he was hanging out with when he got locked up the first time. Pressure is on. He's being denied everywhere. He's feeling inadequate. So he did what he was most comfortable with. He went out. He got more heroin. He ingested it. Him and Steve thought up the plan. Come to the pawn shop. Let's rob it. And now he's in this mess. Labels, mirrors, dynamic silence. The emotions that he was showing at the beginning of the conversation are now starting to dissipate. He's no longer being threatening. He's no longer paying attention to the hostages. He's no longer insulting or being aggressive in his communication style. So we get to the top of the second hour. He says, I appreciate what you've done. I'm going to let some of these people go. True to his word, just about the top of the hour, we can hear him unbinding people. Door opens up. He says, don't make any mistakes. Don't hurt these people. 
They haven't done anything. He's telling this to us. Five people come out. You guys still with me? How many hostages do I have left? There's four left. How can that be? Say, say again. He, I don't, you didn't hear it up here. He said Steve came out, which is exactly what happened. Mike said the entire time we were on the phone with him, I'm in here by myself. We knew that wasn't the case based on the statement of the 12-year-old, based on the statement of the two responding officers. We knew there were two suspects. But he said, I'm in here by myself the entire time. And we let him, quote, be in there by himself. Because whose frame of reference are we looking at this through? His or ours? Always his. At least for the majority of the conversation. He wanted to be by himself. He was by himself. So, if ever you've wondered why when there's a mass shooting or a release of hostages, they show news footage and all the innocents are coming out with their hands up, because we know for a fact that these dummies try to hide in a pack of innocence, which is what Steve tried to do. Going about 10 minutes past second, the top of the second hour, we're still using labels, dynamic silence, dynamic silence and mirrors, and now Steve starts to cry. And we can just hear him sniffling at first, and then it becomes uncontrollable. And he says, I cannot believe this has happened to me again. And this is where he said that part that I said earlier. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. This system is not set up for a black man to succeed in America today. Everything I try fails. And he's saying this through tears. So we have to keep going. Labels, mirrors, dynamic silence. And then abruptly, it shuts off. And he says, hey man, look. My name's not Mike. It's Keith. Now, again, I'm the police. I knew he was Keith the entire time. It's not my first rodeo. But he wanted to be Mike, so we let him be Mike because it was his frame of reference. And then he starts to kind of quote the Ten Commandments and each one of them that he's broken thus far. And then he says... I know what I need to do. I'm going to let the rest of these people go, but it's over for me. I'm not going back. I can't go back. And he sets the phone down, and we can hear him. And he's very contrite. He's apologizing to every one of these people. Big man. I'm sorry I threw you on the ground like that. I didn't mean to throw you on the ground like that. Ma'am, is your knee okay? I'm sorry you had to sit down in that dirt for so long. Take, your, take the tape off your ankles. Make sure that you've got circulation in your feet. You guys go ahead and stand up. Get your belongings. Ma'am, get your pocket. He's, he's old school. He, so he said pocketbook. Ma'am, get your pocketbook. And, and make sure you have all your belongings. And we're listening to this. He's not talking to us at all. He's just The mic is still hot on the phone. And then... He says, what's your name, miss? Because boom, 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 hostages start coming out. The last one is in there. He says, what's your name, miss? She says, it's Jill. 
He said, Jill, what I want you to do, I want you to go out there and you find my wife. Her name is Kathy. She's a short, light-skinned black female, very thin. You cannot miss her. You tell her I love her and I'm sorry. He gets back on the phone and says, hey, man, last woman's coming out. Her name is Jill. This is what she looks like when she comes out. Let that door close. It'll all be over. True to his word, Jill comes out, door closes, and it's over. Labels, mirrors, and dynamic silence took care of the negative emotions and dynamics that Keith was trying to manage, brought those negative emotions and dynamics down, brought his rational thinking up. It wasn't all the way to where it needed to be, but it was sufficient enough for him to make the decision that these people had nothing to do with his status in life. That's how powerful the skills are in the highest of stakes conversation. And if they work in the highest of stakes conversation in that world, it will work in the highest of stakes conversations in your world. It's, it's almost identical. The negative emotions and dynamics associated with the hostage taking. That's not Keith, by the way. That's some other dummy in D Denver. Um, But the same emotions and dynamics that are present during a hostage negotiation are the same emotions and dynamics that are present in your tough conversations. In fact, I would submit to you, that's all a negotiation is, is a tough conversation. What makes it tough? Any conversation that you engage in where I want or I need is in your head and or in the head of your counterpart, it's going to be a tough conversation. If it's a tough conversation, there's going to be negative emotions and dynamics. Ignore that at your own peril. Don't want to change who you are, but I would like to change how you think about communicating. And it starts with you understanding what business you're in. So I'll ask you, what business are you in? I mean, what business are you in, really? What business are you in? Solutions. He says solutions. What business are you in? What do you mean by the people business? Service the people first and everything will, will follow. In the back there, anybody, what business are you in? Ooh, sexy. He said, relationships. Can you give me more? I can't really see who answered that, so. Build, oh, okay, now we're getting into building relationships. Influencing people. Anyone else? Money making. Thank you for being candid, sir. You guys, the mindset is right in this room. You're in the trust business. Anybody, anywhere on the planet would do anything for you if two things were true. A, it was within their capability, and B, they trusted you. Keith did not release those people because he did not trust me. It took a lot of time to build up that trust-based influence to start to influence his decision-making. But you are in the trust business. Jacob mentioned that we talked on the phone. One of the things that came out of his mouth almost immediately, we are in, we are involved in a relationship-driven B2B process. How do you get to that quality relationship? You've got to establish 
trust. The fastest way for you to establish that trust is with you employing heavy doses of tactical empathy. Sending the message to the other side that they are just as, if not more important than you. Understanding what, how they view the lay of the land. What does that environment look like? What circumstances do they find themselves in? Everybody wants that. Everybody wants somebody else to understand what they're going through. 